Good morning, church family. Would you please begin to make your way forward, find your seats, and stand with us as we begin to worship the Lord together in song. standing and let's continue to worship the Lord and sing Be Thou My Vision.
to worship you and to know, God, that we can trust in Christ. We thank you for your presence, God, for your indwelling spirit and for your faithfulness. We love you and we trust you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Ambassador Bible Fellowship. We are glad that you are here this morning to worship our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you are tuning in via live stream, uh, we're glad that you're able to uh, to join us uh, in in spirit. Uh, you can... Uh, view the, uh, the the bulletin. We have it there digitally. For those of you who are here, if you want to open up your physical copy of uh, uh, the bulletin. Uh, and we have a lot of misinformation in the bulletin uh, this week. Uh, I got many text messages uh, this morning saying, oh, this needs to be corrected. And what about this? What about that? So let me, uh, let me uh, give you the right information now that you've been misinformed. Uh, the equipping hour class, that's true. That is happening. Uh, the ABF directory photos uh, said to be happening uh, today uh, and the next uh, two Sundays. That is misinformation. Uh, the pictures will not be taking place today or next week, but beginning March 13th. If you would like to have uh, your photo taken for the directory, uh, you can uh, come uh, up to the front uh, after the service and we'll be able to, to take your family photo. It's a wonderful uh, thing to do. Uh, and you can uh, participate in the directory in that way. And that'll probably be taking place the next three Sundays beginning March 13th. Uh, the Titus uh, 2 Women's Discipleship is still happening. And uh, tomorrow's uh, topic is on the revival of reverence. Uh, and uh, if you are interested in attending, you can speak uh, with Carol. You don't have to have attended uh, the, the previous uh, sessions. Feel free to jump right in. Uh, and she also, uh, Carol wanted me to, to make it clear 
that uh, high school uh, girls would also uh, are also welcome to attend uh, and be a part of that tomorrow evening uh, from 6.30 to 8.30 uh, at uh, Meridian First Baptist, which is right down the street. We rent a room uh, from them for uh, that evening. Uh, that should be a great time. Uh, next Sunday, uh, after the service from 12.30 to 2, we'll do our, our church potluck. Uh, and uh, there's information there on uh, who should bring what in terms of main dishes and desserts. That should be a, a sweet time of... Uh, fellowship uh, and enjoying uh, a meal together. Uh, there is uh, also uh, a Shepherds Conference uh, watch party, which is kind of a, a men's event. Usually what we try and do is we uh, like to put a group uh, together to actually go down and attend uh, the Shepherds Conference, uh, but this year it's sold out uh, much sooner than we uh, anticipated uh, than, than what it has in the past. And so we're going to be doing kind of a men's event, uh, a watch party. And if you flip over a couple of pages in the bulletin, uh, we've put kind of a full uh, schedule uh, of what uh, and the times and, and sessions are. And uh, we, we realize that you may not be able to take a, a full uh, day off or all of those days off. So, men, if you want to, uh, to register for certain times or afternoons or evenings uh, on there, just let us know you're coming. That way we can be prepared uh, in terms of uh, chairs and seating and snacks uh, for those dates of Wednesday, March uh, 9th through Friday, March 11th. Uh, and that's going to be held at the, the Weeks home. And uh, you can register online on the homepage. Uh, how many of you, I guess by show of hands, know that we have a church, it's called a church center app. How many of you have that mobile application? Okay, it's not to shame those who don't raise their hands at all, but um, I would encourage you to download that app and, and register with uh, ABF uh, on there, and you can, you can register uh, for upcoming events, you can communicate with your, the growth group that you're in, you, can, you have access to a lot of uh, files and, and information there. We would really encourage you to download that app, uh, and the information is there actually on the bottom of the, uh, the announcements uh, portion. Uh, so I would encourage you to, to download that, take a look at the, the mark your calendar section, and uh, I would draw your attention to uh, two big dates that seem right now they're in the distant future, but we are heading in that direction. Uh, Sunday, June 5th uh, will be the annual members meeting, uh, and right now we haven't fully confirmed the, uh, the time uh, of that because I know we've done it in the afternoon in the past. Uh, we've kind of done a, a potluck and then uh, the members meeting in the afternoon. But we've been, what we've encountered is that fa families with young children, it's, that's an that's a important uh, afternoon time, that nap time, right? Especially after church, you're like the kids are on their way down, the parents are on their way down. And then we're like, we're going to have this really big important meeting that we need you to be at. Uh, and you're like, why? Um, but it is, uh, it is an important uh, meeting. We don't uh, call too many of those. And uh, so I, I would ask that you would mark it on your calendar. Uh, and then we're evaluating, and I'll probably be asking for feedback in terms of if it's best to, to try and do a brief meeting in the afternoon, uh, to try and do it uh, where we come back in the evening. But we'll, we'll be in conversation about that. So, But I would ask uh, members especially, uh, mark that on your calendar. And that members meeting is open to, to anybody and everybody. If, if you're here and, and a part... Uh, you can come and, and listen in and hear all of those discussions, but it's just the members that will actually uh, be voting on things. But we would also encourage you to pursue membership uh, so you can be a part of that. Uh, the other date I would ask you to mark down would be June 24th to 26th will be our uh, all-church camp uh, at Donnelly, uh, Idaho. Uh, and our youth students were just up at the camp uh, last weekend. They returned uh, safely. Uh, most of them. Uh, some were impacted by games and other things, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, 
we will go up on a Friday, June 24th, and then come back on a Sunday. Uh, and we do that because there's a couple of Sundays that we uh, well, we rent this building uh, from the denomination uh, of Church of God Seventh Day, and they use it uh, one time a year for a big camp meeting that spans uh, one full week and two weekends. And so we can't meet here those two weekends. So we'll do uh, a service at the park, and we'll do our church camping trip. Uh, on those uh, Sundays. Uh, and uh, so mark those, uh, that camp day on your calendar. We'll have more information forthcoming uh, on that, but we would love for all of you to attend and be a part. Uh, and uh, there's additional information uh, about youth. Uh, again, the Shepherds Conference, we'll have a new reading plan beginning tomorrow. We're reading through Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossians, uh, which would be uh, a big shift from First and Second Samuel, which we just finished up. Uh, there's more information on the back in terms of how you can uh, jump in and serve and be a part here uh, at Ambassador. But uh, all of that uh, being said, uh, I'm going to invite Daryl Moser up, and we're going to read Psalm 92 uh, together as a congregation, and then he's going to uh, pray for us. But if you can pull out your Bible, and Daryl is going to lead us. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Again, we'll be in Psalm 92. Uh, it's a great privilege to read this beautiful song uh, this morning, for sure. So my Bible titles this psalm, How Great Are Your Works? And another commentary I was looking at uh, um, titled it uh, Praise for God's Goodness. So both of them are just a great uh, description of what we're about to read. So Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Thank you for this Lord's Day, for this privilege it is to be known by you and to know you and to gather to worship you, and thank you for the gift of your word. This is such a beautiful psalm. Father, again, we see the word teach us about you and your character, or teach us about the human condition and the wonders of our redemption through Jesus, so that we may live rightly this life of faith. Your word tells us that on this Lord's Day and every day, it is our duty and our great privilege as the redeemed to give thanks to you, to sing praises to you, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And your word today shows us 
that when we do turn our gaze to you and we do ponder and meditate on your great works and on your deep thoughts, you make us wise and you keep us from sin and you make us glad and you make us joyful. So, Father, we do confess that we are prone to wander, prone to not be thankful or to not have gratitude for all that you are and all that you have done, prone to not sing praises to you, prone to forget your steadfast love and your faithfulness. In other words, we confess that we are prone to act like the fool of this psalm, but you are faithful. You have imputed to us your righteousness through the work of Jesus to those who have trusted in Jesus. And so we are not the fool. We are the righteous and such promises this psalm gives to the righteous, to those who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and loved by you. Promises that you are sovereign and your will is being done and you are and forever will be victorious. Promises that we are secure in our position with you. Promises that we have great purpose and will be fruit fruitful even into our old age. Promises that we will ultimately bring glory to you. Father, for all that, we thank you and we praise you and we declare your love and your faithfulness. Prepare our mind and our heart to hear the word that we are about to take in. Help us, make us even, be glad and joyful by the works of your hand and the wonders of your deep thoughts. Thank you, Father, for the privilege it is to worship you through our faithful giving. Thank you for allowing us to participate in your work in that way. We pray that by the work of your spirit, we'll be sanctified today by your word, that we would know you more completely and love you more dearly. In Jesus' name we do pray. Would you please stand and let's sing to the Lord, his mercy is more. They are many 
mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more amen please continue to stand and sing with us glorious day
This time, kids, kindergarten through third grade, you can head to the back of the building and head to class, and let's continue to sing to the Lord and sing, Behold Our God.
Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore Him. Father, it gives us such joy to worship you and to lift your name and to lift the name of Jesus. And God, we are thankful for this taste of eternity and look forward to worshiping you, the one King who reigns forever. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our ears to hear your word and let Thomas proclaim it faithfully. And may we be changed by it to know you more, to love you more for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The mic dropped. <laughs> well, I remember back in uh, March of 2020, uh, after a uh, youth group w- one night, uh, some of the, the men came over from the, the growth group, uh, and uh, it was when COVID uh, stirrings were first beginning to, to happen. We were hearing some things, but then uh, some of the men came over and they, they said that the NBA had, had canceled the, the rest of the, the season uh, for the, the 2020 uh, year. And uh, in this past Wednesday, uh, somebody after our wisely pursuing a, a spouse uh, night, somebody came up to me and said uh, on that Wednesday night, which was Wednesday night for us, but Thursday morning uh, in Ukraine, uh, somebody came up and said that you know, Russia had officially uh, invaded uh, and they were they were moving in. So, seems like a lot of a lot of big things happen uh, on uh, Wednesday nights. I'm sure m- many of you have been watching uh, the news and and things on social media and just seeing what is what all is taking place uh, there. Uh, but I would uh, I would ask you and encourage you to to be praying for uh, those in Ukraine right now, uh, and uh, be praying for uh, the people of Ukraine. Uh, be praying for Christians, for pastors, for missionaries. Uh, someone else brought to my attention uh, a couple of uh, a missionary couple who was there in Ukraine, and, and several weeks ago, the United States uh, government encouraged everybody, everybody to to begin to depart from uh, all of the U.S. citizens to depart from Ukraine. Uh, and these missionaries said, "We're going to stay. Uh, they, they weren't going to uh, to go in and depart uh, in uh, this time, and they were going to stay and they were going to minister to people. So there are, there are many people there in Ukraine that we can be lifting up. Uh, and uh, even as we saw uh, last week, uh, as we studied First Samuel, kind of taking a, little, a short break from the Gospel of John, we saw the, the power of prayer last week, right? Uh, in, in Hannah's uh, life, uh, we saw how God used uh, her prayers in his plans. Uh, and we saw that that is the, the pattern that God often uses to bring about his purposes in the world. That he will bring uh, provocations and, and trials uh, into our life, just as he did uh, in Hannah's life. And then how does God want us to respond to those trials? Uh, by turning to him in prayer. And then uh, as we turn to him in prayer, he, he provides. Uh, and he answers our prayers according to his will and according to his purposes. Uh, and uh, Hannah didn't realize it at the time, but as she was, was praying for a child, God was doing uh, something much bigger and much greater. Uh, he was providing a leader for uh, his people. Uh, 
And so Hannah's provocations led to her prayers, and her prayers led to God's provision. And we're going to study this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and really this is a continuation of that process that we, that we saw in 1 Samuel 1 last week. Uh, and uh, what we're going to study this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 2 is, uh, is Hannah's response to God's provision. Uh, we ended last week in, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1 verse 28 uh, with uh, Hannah uh, and her husband Elkanah uh, bringing uh, the, the young boy, Samuel, just probably three or four years old, bringing him to the tabernacle in uh, Shiloh to begin to, to serve there. And uh, so that's, that's how chapter 1 ended. And then if you look at chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah. But the young boy ministered to Yahweh before Eli the priest. Uh, and so what we, we have is chapter 1 comes to an end, uh, and they are, uh, Elkanah and his family uh, are still there in Shiloh, and they don't leave until chapter 2, verse 11. And what we see uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is Hannah's response. What we're going to see is Hannah praying uh, a, a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God for how he has provided for her in her circumstances. Uh, and in this psalm of praise, Hannah's going to look initially at how God worked in her own life, and then she's going to, to look at the bigger picture of how God generally works in his world. Uh, and as we study this psalm of praise, we're, we're going to see a, a wonderful template for us on how we can respond to God uh, when he answers our prayers. But even more, this is, this is an inspired theology lesson and an encouragement for each of us to keep our eyes on God's chosen king in any and every circumstance of life. And we're going we're gonna to read uh, this uh, psalm in, in portions as we study it. But what we're going to see in this psalm, in these ten verses, are four urgent responses of how uh, to Yahweh's character and his conduct as he interacts with us in his world. So we're going to look at these four uh, responses. Uh, and the first response to Yahweh's character and conduct is seen uh, in verses 1 and 2. Uh, Hannah says this, or it records this, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in Yahweh. My horn is exalted in Yahweh. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I am glad in your salvation. And there is no one holy like Yahweh. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And this first response, Hannah's immediate response, is one of rejoicing. And we can say that we must rejoice in Yahweh's holy character. It, the, the first line of verse 1 just introduces uh, Hannah as, as the speaker, and it informs us that this is a prayer that she's offering up, probably spoken publicly uh, there in the tabernacle in Shiloh. So there are, there are probably others who are hearing uh, this prayer uh, that she is speaking. Uh, and she begins by saying uh, that she is uh, rejoicing in Yahweh and that she, that she is reaching high. Her heart uh, is exalting in him. Uh, and uh, just think about that. Uh, here Hannah has uh, the, the stigma of her, her barrenness uh, after years and years of going without children. The Lord ha has blessed her and she is rejoicing, not because of that stigma of, of barrenness has been removed, 
Uh, and she's not even rejoicing in uh, the fact that she has this young uh, child, this beautiful young boy, Samuel, who's now going to serve the Lord in Shiloh. She's not rejoicing in him either. Who is she rejoicing in? Yeah, she is rejoicing in the Lord who has blessed her uh, and is continuing to, to work in and through her. She rejoices in the Lord. Uh, in Yahweh, her horn is exalted. And this concept of a horn is, is used often in uh, Hebrew poetry. And it's kind of representative or symbolic of, of strength, of, of power and dignity. Uh, and she now, uh, in her strength, because the Lord has uh, exalted her, she's going to exalt Yahweh. Uh, and she's going to, she says, my mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. The, the Hebrew there is literally, I open my mouth wide. Uh, and she's going to, to, to boast uh, in the Lord. Uh, she's going to speak boldly because uh, the Lord has delivered her from her circumstances. Now, and then in the three lines of verse 2, she speaks about the, the character of Yahweh, and she emphasizes uh, his holiness, right? She says, there is no one holy like Yahweh. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Uh, she is she's emphasizing that God is altogether uh, different. He is altogether above and beyond us. Uh, one systematic theology uh, puts God's holiness in, in this light. It says God's holiness is his inherent and absolute greatness in which he is perfectly distinct above everything outside of himself and is absolutely morally separate from sin. And that is what she is, is emphasizing here. Hannah is a, is a great theologian in this sense. She is saying that God is holy, that he is incomparable, uh, and that he is absolutely unique. There is no one like him. Uh, and the rest of the scriptures affirm this. Exodus fifteen eleven, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 35 says, To you it was shown, speaking to the Israelites, to you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh, He is God, and there is no other besides Him. What's interesting is that our, our current culture uh, values being unique, right? The, the idea of expressive individualism uh, is very uh, highly esteemed in our culture. Right? Which is also very ironic. Right? Because this value of be uh, your own individual. Why should I be my own individual? Because everybody else is doing it too. Right? And so many people uh, are attempting to be unique uh, in exactly the same ways. What's, what's the net result? You're still not unique. <laughs> uh, and that's one of the things that we have to, to understand. That there is only one who is truly unique. That there is only one who is truly set apart and altogether greater than we are, and that is the Lord. Now, we have failed to achieve uniqueness because we are not unique. Now, we are all individuals, and we don't have to necessarily strive to, to be different from everybody else. The Lord has created us uh, in unique ways, but we just rest in those ways that He has created us. We don't have to strive for that. We're not going to achieve it. God is the only one who is absolutely unique. He is the incomparable one, the one who is morally set apart, and he is perfectly holy. And it is uh, Hannah exalting him. And notice what she says. 
nor is there any rock like our God. Uh, that's Yes, uh, Hannah is saying that she is, uh, or he is her God, uh, but she is speaking as a part of a larger covenant community. She is recognizing that there is a personal relationship uh, between Yahweh and his people. And Yahweh is the rock of his people, whether it's in the uh, 11th century B.C., when Hannah is speaking these words, or the 21st century A.D., God is still the rock for his people. He is there for his people. And Hannah has seen and has tasted this for herself. And her response is to praise God for who he is. And she rejoices in her heart and is lifted high in her strength as a result of God's holy, incomparable, and unique character. And this is what we have to remember. The character of God is strength to his people. That you and I can face anything and everything because of who God is, not because of who we are. And we must rejoice in who God is. And we must feel his character. We must rejoice in it, even as Hannah does here. This is the first urgent response. uh, Looking to who Yahweh is and responding with rejoicing. Uh, But then there's a second response, and it's seen in verses 3 through 5. If you look with me there. She says, Do not multiply speaking so very proudly. Let arrogance not come out of your mouth. For Yahweh is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but those who stumble gird on strength, and those who were full hire themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry cease to hunger, and even the barren gives birth to seven. But she who has many children languishes. In this second response, we see that we must reflect upon Yahweh's amazing reversals. And there's a subtle shift here in verse 3. And Hannah begins to to issue this warning, really, to to anybody who is uh, hearing. And the the first two lines uh, comprise this warning uh, to the proud boaster. Uh, and uh, if we remember back from her circumstances in, in chapter 1, she might have a very particular person in mind here. Uh, Penina, the, the rival wife who was uh, goading and provoking her year after year uh, about her barrenness. And so what the, the warning that Hannah issues here is do not multiply speaking so very proudly. Right? Don't, don't keep on boasting. And why should the, the, the prideful not continue to boast? Uh, because uh, the Lord delights uh, to turn things on their head. Uh, he loves to make these uh, reversals of circumstances. And uh, the, the second two lines uh, in, that, uh, in verse 3 uh, are a little bit more difficult. To, well, there's some disagreement on how to interpret them. There is a decision uh, concerning uh, especially how to understand that last line. And there's a, a difference in, in Hebrew uh, sometimes as, as it is read in the synagogues uh, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a difference between what is written and what is actually read. Uh, and then the, the decision needs to be made of which one do we, do we go with. Uh, and uh, what you have uh, in most of the English translations uh, is uh, what is actually uh, uh, read rather than actually what is written. Uh, and so the, the, uh, what most English translations uh, will say on that second line, uh, it says, uh, and with him actions are weighed. The first line, uh, for Yahweh is a God of knowledge, is emphasizing uh, the weight and the gravity of God's knowledge. And that word knowledge is actually plural. 
Uh, the knowledges of God. Uh, not that there's more than one, but it just speaks about how much God knows. And then that second line, and with him actions are weighed. Another, uh, what's actually written in the Hebrew is that his divine actions are immeasurable. Now, you cannot weigh uh, what God does. They, they are too, uh, too weighty, too glorious. And so uh, either way, no matter how you, you uh, translate and understand it, the, the main emphasis of, of these verses is still do not boast. It, it's the, then the, the, we're talking about the, the rationale of why should we not boast. Uh, and uh, w- either way, the, the emphasis is uh, upon uh, the knowledge of God being too great, uh, and he is going to uh, call all things uh, into his judgment, uh, and he himself cannot be judged. Uh, There's a a great uh, parallel uh, of thoughts there. But then in verses 4 and 5, we see these these series of reversals uh, mentioned uh, involving military force, uh, involving food, and involving uh, fertility. All right, verse 4, the bows of the mighty are shattered, but those who are uh, stumbling, those who are staggered uh, and and laid low, uh, they uh, put on strengths. Uh, those who are uh, full uh, and, and satisfied, their, their bellies are full, suddenly their circumstances are, uh, are completely reversed and they have to go and, and begin to work in order to eat. Uh, and uh, the second part of verse, uh, that first coupling uh, in verse 5, but those who were hungry uh, cease to hunger. That says they are now uh, full and, and satisfied. And uh, speaking directly of her own experience, uh, and the second uh, coupling in verse 5, Hannah says, The barren woman gives birth, uh, and the woman who uh, has many children uh, languishes. The idea of that she becomes uh, childless is what it says in the Hebrew. Uh, and uh, some of you uh, may uh, have done the math later on in chapter 2, verse 21, uh, and you count up Hannah's children, you say, but wait, Hannah didn't have seven children. She had six children. She has Samuel and then five more uh, later on. And, and again, Hannah is, is speaking both of her experience, but also speaking of how God works in general. Uh, and uh, the, the seven is just the, the number of perfection, speaking about how God uh, loves to uh, reverse circumstances uh, and how God delights to operate in this world. He loves to, uh, to humble uh, those who exalt themselves, and he loves to exalt those who humble themselves. Uh, and, and this is the, the description that we have. And Hannah is looking at her own circumstances and how God has worked. Uh, and she's drawing these really big, uh, accurate conclusions about who God is and what he delights to do. Now, and this is one of the biggest themes in First and Second Samuel, as we just finished reading through these books. And, uh, and what Hannah, th- this, the story of Hannah at the beginning of 1 Samuel, uh, and then her, her prayer here, uh, is, is a way of opening the book, a way of introducing all of the, the themes that are going to be talked about. Uh, and this parallels how the book actually ends. Uh, at the beginning of uh, the book, you have this, this narrative of uh, a humble woman being exalted. And then you have a, a poetic uh, section uh, here in what we're studying this morning. But if you, if you turn to the very end of 2 Samuel, Things reverse order, and what we're going to see is in uh, chapter 22 of Second Samuel, we're going to see uh, a psalm of David. You're going to see uh, a psalm of David, uh, and you're also going to see in chapter 23, uh, it says David's uh, final words, another uh, poetic section. 
uh, within this. And then uh, w- you're going to have poetry, and then you're going to have a little bit of a, an epilogue. Uh, and so in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, uh, we have a, a, a humble uh, woman being exalted. But in 2 Samuel chapter 24, uh, the very end of the book, and kind of again uh, forming a bookend with what we're studying this morning, uh, we have a prideful king being humbled. Right? David exalts himself uh, at, at the end of this book. And what does he do? He, he says, Let, let's go take a, a census. Uh, and he's asking for a census, not because he's curious about the population of Israel, but because he wants to boast. Uh, and, and Joab, the leader of his army, who's, as you remember, he's not the most godly of guys. Uh, he, he's got a lot of things. You're like, why did he, why did he do that? But, but even Joab, when David says this, he's like, King, are, are you sure you want to do this? Like, this may not be the best of ideas. And David says, go and do it. And uh, what, we, what we see is that, that Joab goes and, and he, he numbers, he takes the census of, of Israel. Uh, and uh, in uh, chapter 24, verse 8, we see that it took, took Joab nine months and 20 days to count everybody. And then he, he comes back, and in, in verse 9 of 24, he, he reports the, the numbers to King David. And look with me at chapter 24, verse 10. It says, Then David's heart struck him after he had counted the people. And so David said to Yahweh, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Yahweh, please take away the iniquity of your slave, for I have acted very foolishly. David suddenly sees uh, how sinful and how prideful this was. Uh, and at the end of the book, uh, the, the sin that is most emphasized in terms of David's life, and again, having just read through it, David was a big sinner. He's still a man after God's own heart, but this is kind of the, the capstone here. And it's emphasized that uh, even if you are a king, if you exalt yourself, what's God going to do? He's going to humble you, and he's going to delight to do that. He, he loves to humble the exalted and to exalt those who humble themselves. And so Hannah is seeing and observing God's ways, and she is echoing them back to him. And she sees this reality that God loves to bring about these reversals of fortune. And this happens uh, on so many occasions in the Bible. Just begin to, to look for them. Mark them down. And God is not only reversing the, the fortune of, of Hannah here in the very beginning of 1 Samuel. Uh, he is in the process of reversing uh, the fortune of the entire nation of Israel. And that's what we have to, to keep in mind. That God uh, deals with individuals and he deals with nations. And he loves to exalt uh, those who uh, are uh, humble. And he loves to, to lay low those who are prideful. Uh, and right now, uh, God is in process in the very beginning of 1 Samuel, uh, of slowly exalting Israel after they have been humbled repeatedly during the time of the judges. And God's reversals sometimes take a bit of time. But we don't typically like that. How do we like God's reversals to be? Okay, God, can we, can we go a little bit faster here? Well, we have to remember this. And we have to take to heart uh, and reflect upon uh, God's ability to reverse circumstances. He delights to bring about these reversals. Uh, and so if, if we know that God uh, loves to act in this way, how should we respond? You know, we need to be very, very careful. We, we need to examine our hearts about any way that we are exalting ourselves, because what is God going to delight to do if we are exalting ourselves? 
Oh, you want to do this? Okay. It's like we're, we're an ever-rising balloon, right? That's what pride does in our hearts. And what does God like to do? Just take that little needle and say, pop, right? And as soon as that happens, we're, we're laid low, but it's not long before. What do we do? We have another balloon up there, and it's rising again, and God likes to say, pop. Uh, and so what, what God wants us to learn is that we are called to, to humble ourselves. Job chapter 5, verse 11 says, So that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Luke chapter 1, verse 52 uh, which is actually Mary uh, speaking uh, in what's a very famous portion of Scripture known as the Magnificat. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you go and read the Magnificat, it's very, very similar to actually what Hannah is doing right here in 1 Samuel 2. Uh, what what uh, uh, Mary does is she responds to God, the good news that she is now with child uh, from the Holy Spirit, that she's going to give birth to the Messiah— What does she do? She immediately turns around and praises God. But listen to what Mary says in verse 52 of Luke 1. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. This is what we have to be convinced of. We have to reflect upon the fact that God works in this way. And we need to be wary of pride in our own life, and we need to strive for humility uh, and uh, lowering and humbling ourselves before a holy God. We must rejoice in Yahweh's holy character, and we must reflect upon Yahweh's amazing reversals. And then thirdly, we must remember Yahweh's absolute sovereignty. And this is seen in verses 6 through 8. As Hannah continues, She says, Yahweh puts to death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Yahweh makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, and he exalts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of glory. For the pillars of the earth are Yahweh's. And he sets the world on them. Now, in these verses, uh, Hannah is going to begin uh, recalling to mind the, the power of God. So she, she moves from the reversals to how is God able to, to do these reversals. And she's going to, uh, to count the ways in which God is, is able to uh, super, uh, superintend uh, the circumstances of human life. Uh, and the, the power of Yahweh is seen uh, in verses 6 and 7. Uh, she emphasizes uh, in verse 6 that, that God is sovereign and in control over life and death. He, he will send to the grave and he will bring uh, to life. Uh, he is in absolute control. In the first line of verse 7, uh, she points to uh, God's control over wealth and poverty. Right? Yahweh makes rich or Yahweh makes poor and rich. Uh, in the second line, uh, she points to uh, God's complete control over social standing. That he brings low and he also exalts. Uh, and then something to observe. So uh, verses 6 and 7 have two lines each. And then suddenly verse 8 is a lot longer. Verse 8 has six lines to it. Uh, and uh, it's going to really expand upon what is said in verses 6 and 7. 
Uh, the first two lines of chapter 8 or verse 8 say that God is capable uh, of changing uh, the fortune of both the rich and the poor. So God is able to, to put you in, in one standing, but then what is he also able to do? To change what that standing is. Uh, he's able to make rich or he's going to able to make poor, and then he's able to, to turn that around as he pleases. Uh, and the, the idea in uh, that second line, he exalts the needy from the ash heap. It's a very strong Hebrew word uh, because the ash heap actually refers to the, the heaps of, of garbage and manure that would be kind of accumulating outside of the city. Uh, and the poor in those times, uh, guess where they would, would go to, to sleep at night? Out there. If, if you, were, you were poor, you would go out there and you'd come into the city and, and beg alms during the day. And Hannah says that this is what God delights to do. He is able to, to take the, the poor. He's able to, to take the needy out of the ash heap. And he's able to, to place them uh, in the seat with nobles. And he's able to, to give them uh, a seat of glory as an inheritance. He's able to give them a seat, a position that they are going to be able to pass on to uh, their children's children. And then... The, the last two lines of verse 8, Hannah moves beyond just the fact of what God is able of, to do, and she explains why he is able to do it. She moves beyond just elevating the poor uh, to looking at how God is able to, uh, to do what he does. It says, For the pillars of the earth are Yahweh's, and he set the world on them. Again, she's, she's arguing, uh, she's, she's presenting the, the, the lesser case uh, and saying God is able to do this, this, and this. And uh, he's able to do this, this, and this because look at the, even the bigger picture. God is able to, to take the, the poor and the needy and elevate them to wherever he pleases, to the, to the seat of honor because he's the one who put the whole earth in its place. All right, so how much more is he able to, to take individuals upon the earth and place them where he desires them to be. And as we look at these three verses, the emphasis is that life and death, wealth and poverty, obscurity and honor are all in the hands of our sovereign God. He lifts and he lowers as he pleases, and he puts people exactly where he wants them to be for however long he wants them to be there. An example of this is seen later on in 2 Samuel. Like how God lifts and lowers people through a variety of ordinary means. Again, he doesn't have to, to part the seas in order to do this. He uses uh, his divine providence of ordinary everyday life. If you, if you turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see a, a young man uh, who was initially introduced to us in 2 Samuel 4, a young man uh, named Mephibosheth. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we're, we're, we're told this. Now, Jonathan and Saul's son had a son crippled in his feet. And he was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, if you really let that sink in of what, what took place. So news came that the king and the prince, Jonathan, were killed in battle at the end of 1 Samuel. 
And Jonathan had a young son, five years old, during that time. And if the king dies uh, in battle, that's not a good thing for the nation. So what does everybody do, especially the king's household? We've got to pack it. We've got to go right now. And in her hurry, the nurse picks up this little young prince, the son of Jonathan. And in her hurry, she drops him. And he's, he's crippled for life now. Now he's, he's fatherless and he's crippled. So you think about these, these circumstances. Years later, we're, we're going to see David again in, in divine providence. We're going to see the faithfulness of David to, to fulfill the, the oath and the covenant that he made with Jonathan to care for his descendants. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, Then David said, Is there anyone yet left in Saul, in the house of Saul, that I may show him loving kindness for Jonathan's sake? And verse 6 in 2 Samuel 9, So Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show loving kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table continually. And so he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? And then the king called Saul's young man, Ziba, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons, your servants, shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food and eat of it. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table continually. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so your, ser- your servants shall, will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And now Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table continually. Now he was lame in both feet. What's the emphasis there? What, what did God do in the life of Mephibosheth? This young boy grew up fatherless, crippled. What, what did he do overnight? Raised him up. Where was Mephibosheth uh, dwelling, probably, uh, before uh, being elevated to David's table? We're not told exactly, but it wasn't at the king's table. <laughs> If you're fatherless at that point in time, you're not uh, rolling in riches. But, but overnight, he's elevated to uh, literally a, a seat of honor, exactly what is spoken of here in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mephibosheth was suddenly elevated. This is what God delights to do. And if, if God set the earth in its place in the universe, then he is able to, to place us wherever he desires. And again, these are the reflections of, of Hannah. 
This is what she is recalling to mind. This is what she is, is thinking about and, and seeing and understanding. And, and she's taking this really big, weighty theology about the sovereignty of God, and she's bringing it down to the practical of her own life. That God is able to do all of these things. She reflected upon that, and we must remember the same. That Yahweh is absolutely sovereign, and He is able to reverse any circumstance that we face if He chooses. He delights to bring about these reversals. But we have to remember His sovereignty in each and every circumstance. Because what is it that we are tempted to do when we are placed in circumstances that we don't like? When, when God places us in those positions of, of poverty, of need, of obscurity, of, of near death, what do we typically like to do? Yeah, we, we grumble and complain. God, in your sovereignty, why have you given me this? Right? Of all of the things that you could have given me, why are you giving me this? Why are you giving me health issues? Why are you not giving me enough money to, to pay all my bills and get everything that I'm, I'm needing for my, for my family? Why, why are you doing this, God? But we have to remember, who is it that, that places us uh, in uh, prosperity or adversity? The Lord. He is the sovereign one. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14, In the day of prosperity... Be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Hannah reflected upon God's sovereignty, and we must remember his sovereignty as well in any and all of our circumstances, so that we can find contentment no matter what God has brought to us at that point in time. Keeping in mind, he loves to bring about those reversals. Now, A.W. Pink uh, has this to say about contentment. He says, uh, Contentment, then, is the product of a heart resting in God. It is the soul's enjoyment of that peace that passes all understanding. It is the outcome of my will being brought into subjection to the divine will. It is the blessed assurance uh, that God does all things well. And is, even now, making all things work together for my ultimate good. Even in, in the life and experience of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4, he says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We need to remember Yahweh's absolute sovereignty over our standing and position in life, over uh, our very life in the day of our death. And when we remember and, and reflect upon his sovereignty, uh, this should lead us to be content in any and all circumstances. And what a theology lesson here in Hannah's prayer. That we must rejoice in God's holy character. We must reflect upon his amazing reversals. We must remember his absolute sovereignty. And then fourthly, in verses 9 and 10, we actually see the pinnacle of her prayer here. If you look with me at those verses. He keeps the feet of his holy ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. 
for not by power shall a man prevail. Those who contend with Yahweh will be dismayed. Against them he will thunder in the heavens, and Yahweh will render justice to the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. And in these verses we see that we must rest in Yahweh's anointed king. Verse 9, Hannah, Hannah takes her theology and, and puts feet on it, or rather, maybe a better way to put it, is she takes uh, and she reflects upon uh, what her theology means for her feet. Namely, that because of who God is, her feet are secure. Meaning that, that if she's following Yahweh, abiding in him, he is going to keep the feet of his holy ones. You know, the feet of God's people uh, do not stumble. They do not slip. God sets them securely. And again, this is in contrast uh, with the next line. Uh, but uh, the wicked, they are to be silenced in darkness. Meaning that they will be uh, taken away in death and judgment. And then the last line of verse 9. It's powerful. For not by power shall a man prevail. And the, the implication is uh, the wicked, who are they depending upon? Yeah, they, they think their feet are dependent upon, their, and their standing is dependent upon uh, their own strength, their own might, their own power. Uh, but, but God's people, we understand that our feet are secure, not because we're so great, but because he is. He is the one that we rest in. He is the one who makes us secure. And if we're trusting in ourselves, it's not going to be good. It's not going to last. Again, this is the theme over and over again of First and Second Samuel. Over and over again, if you look at the life of King Saul, he's a man of fear. A man who relies upon his own wisdom, his own strength, over and over and over again. And what's the result? Defeat and tragedy. Sorrow and discipline culminating in being taken away in judgment and death. This is what we see. It is the Lord who brings victory. It's he who rescues from death. We see this in verse 9. And then verse 10 continues the theme, but verse 10 is really the capstone verse to the entire psalm. You know, the first two lines work together to describe Yahweh's judgment. Those who contend with Yahweh will be dismayed. They will be broken and shattered. And against them he will thunder in the heavens. So God is going to intervene to act uh, against those with evil actions. This is seen quite literally later on in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, when, when Samuel, acting in judge, leads the nation of Israel in battle against the Philistines. It says, Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. This is what God does. He is the one who brings victory, and he will thunder judgment against those who contend against him. And the, the third or the middle line of verse 10 functions on its own. And Hannah is looking to the distant future. 
It says, Yahweh will render justice to the ends of the earth. Right? In the here and now, we always want immediate justice, but when is God going to bring justice? In, in the end time, at the final judgment, that's when all true justice will be met out. And she's beginning to, to look to that end point when Yahweh will bring justice. And then in the final two lines, Hannah is going to, to look and see how God is going to bring about this perfect judgment to the ends of the earth. He's going to give strength to his king. But this isn't just a, a normal, ordinary human king. The, the, the last line of verse 10, And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Literally in the, in the Hebrew, of his Messiah. It's the first instance in Scripture where that word is used. And it's here in Hannah's psalm of praise and thanksgiving where she's going to to look beyond her present circumstances and she's going to look into the future. She's going to look to the king whom Yahweh has promised, who's going to make all things right. And she, no matter what her circumstances were, right, going back to what we covered last week in her provocations, in her prayers, in God's provision, and now in her, in her praise, her eyes never move off of God. She fixes her eyes there. And this is the pattern that we must follow. This is the encouragement for our own souls in any and every circumstance. When John Calvin's wife, Idolette, died, he wrote to a friend describing what he was going through. His friend, to his friend William Farrell, he wrote this. He says, May the Lord Jesus support me under this affliction, which would certainly have overcome me had not he who raises up the prostrate, strengthens the weak, and refreshes the weary stretched forth his hand from heaven to me. John Calvin understood that even in those uh, dark moments of loss and grief, that God's hand was being extended to him. And he's saying it was God's hand at that point in time ministering to him. And did you catch how he worded that? I, I love what he says. It was God who raises the prostrate, strengthens the weak, and refreshes the weary. Yahweh does what with his holy ones? He keeps their feet so that we are able to rest in him. What does the Lord Jesus say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is no rest to be found apart from the anointed king. Salvation is only found in him. And Hannah looked forward into the future and couldn't wait for that day. But you and I, we don't look into the future. We look into the past. We look back and see uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He lived and died and rose again so that we could be forgiven and brought into uh, the family of God. What David did with Mephibosheth, God does with us through Christ. That's what we see. And everyone who trusts in uh, the king that God has appointed, his son Jesus, 
Everyone who looks to him in faith receives mercy and compassion. And everybody who, who rejects that offer to come and dine at the king's table will be thundered against. That's what we see here in 1 Samuel 2. And those who contend with Yahweh will be dismayed. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. If you're here this morning and you, uh, you are wrestling with who Jesus is, I would urge you, I would plead with you, look to him in faith. Rest in him. No matter how many hard things that you're going through in life right now, uh, life is easier as we follow and trust in Christ. It's not an easy life. Life is never easy. But it's an easier life to rest and trust in the anointed king that Yahweh has established. There is refuge and rest for us all in Christ. And as we have looked at, at this prayer of praise by Hannah, we have seen her respond to Yahweh's character and his conduct toward us. We've seen that we must rejoice in his character. We've seen that we must reflect on his reversals. We've seen that we must remember his absolute sovereignty and that we must rest in his anointed king. But it's very easy as we kind of study scripture to, to take it apart. And sometimes we, we take it apart, we forget to put it back together. Uh, and if you just look at from the beginning of uh, Hannah's prayer to the end of Hannah's prayer, if you look at the progression, that, that Hannah moves from uh, the tiny to the large. She moves from uh, the micro to the macro. Uh, she looks uh, from the small ways in which God delivers to the grand singular way uh, that God delivers in his anointed king, his son, Jesus Christ. And Hannah looks at her circumstances and sees how God has brought her out of her humble circumstances and how he has exalted her by giving her children. Uh, and uh, in the grand scheme of things, that's really just a very small deliverance, right? Uh, but this uh, is not minimized by Hannah. She looks at the small deliverance of God and uses it as a launching pad to praise him uh, and to look to his bigger uh, deliverance. As one uh, pastor and commentator says, this is like a scale model demonstration of the deliverance that we have in the future. Uh, his small, tiny salvations and all of our trials uh, that he delivers us from are signs and samples of our final salvation. All right, now, now many of you have what I have here, uh, a wedding ring, right? These are uh, exchanged on a, on a wedding day. And if you, if you look at this uh, wedding ring, it reminds you of the, the love of your spouse, right? Now, it in its of, of itself is not the love of your spouse, Right? But it is a sign of your spouse's love and affection for you. But just because this is not the actual love, does that mean that it's meaningless? No. What do you, how do you view your wedding ring? It's a sign and a symbol. It's just a sign and a symbol, but you treasure it nonetheless. And in the same way, we have to view and see the small deliverances that God brings about in our life. When you're, when you're praying uh, for uh, the health of a loved one, when you're trying to figure out uh, the monthly finances, when you're, when you're in a, a dark, uh, conflicting circumstance and the Lord delivers you and brings peace, all of those small deliverances are a sign and a symbol of the greater deliverance that we have in Christ. Uh, and we need to appreciate them as those scale models, uh, and we need to use those 
as reminders for our own hearts, and we need to use those as ways, uh, launching pad into greater prayer and greater praise to God for all that he has done for us in Christ. Dale Ralph Davis, one of my favorite pastors and who preached from the Old Testament, he says it this way, each one of Christ's flock should ingest this point into his or her thinking, that every time God lifts you out of the miry bog and sets your feet upon a rock is a sample of the coming kingdom of God, a down payment of the full deliverance, the micro-salvation that will be yours at last in Christ. And so when we begin to see things this way, that we should be praising God in the same way that Hannah does here. And we need to understand that God will use our praises, right? We, we talked last week, God uses uh, our provocations, He uses our prayers, He uses His provision, and He will use our praises as well to, to accomplish His plan and His purposes. Think about this. Uh, Hannah spoke these words 3,000 years ago. And what are they still doing? They're still giving praise to God. Uh, they're still honoring and exalting Him. And how much more if you and I, in the here and now, began to speak about our little deliverances to our friends, to our family members, to our neighbors. If we, if we proclaim the goodness of God in these small, tiny ways, pointing to Him, giving Him praise, and then using those small praises as a launching pad to proclaim the good news uh, of God's anointed King, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. We can give praise to God and glorify Him in all of these ways. Amen? Amen. And we take this to heart and follow in Hannah's example of praising God and honoring Him even in the small deliverances, using them as a, a launching pad to the greater salvation that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are sending your son once more in the future to make all things right, to bring about perfect judgment upon the earth. And Father, help us in the here and now look backwards to his initial life, death, and resurrection, uh, to praise uh, him and you for all that he has done. Help us to look to the small circumstances that we are delivered from on a regular basis in this life. And help us to, to echo out our praise into uh, our households, into our neighborhoods, into our greater community, that we would be salt and light, and that you would use our praises to accomplish your plans and purposes. Lord, help us now as we continue to exalt you through song. We lift up all of these prayers, all of these petitions, all of these praises in the name of Jesus Christ, your King, your Anointed One. Amen. Would you please stand with us and let's sing together, All Glory Be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. 
focus and also your speech glorify our Lord. You are dismissed. Thank you. <laughs>